Hello and welcome to Series 5, Episode 10 of the Oodcast. Hello. And to my left is a small chinchilla type Laura sort of creature. Chinchilla? No, it's not. It's Laura. A small chinchilla like Laura. Nobody has ever called me a chinchilla before. Well, it was a sort of barky voice you did there. Is a chinchilla a dog? A a chinchilla is a dog, yes. But it's a very small. That's a chihuahua. Chihuahua, that's what I thought. And I've just called Laws a dog. No, no, a chinchilla no, is a you didn't um, rabbit until then. sort of thing. <laughs> My texture is the best for a chinchilla. That's right, Jay-Z. That's the one. And um... boy. <laughs> Sorry. I thought you were calling her a small sausage. <laughs> oh, no, that's chipolata. <laughs> chipolata. <laughs> I am a there bit is, of a sausage. There is such a thing as a sausage dog, isn't there? What's, what's their problem? Oh, Andy, thing? stop going there. They're called <laughs> Vimaranas. Oh, no, wait, they're not. They're called Dachshunds. Yeah. I used to have a long-haired Dachshund. Well, my nana did. He was called Toby. He was so cute. Oh. Particularly funny when he went to sit up to bed, because, of course, his height was double what it usually was oh i wish if anybody's got any pictures of any dashens please send them to me because i really like them yes laura doesn't know how to use google send her pictures of dashens <laughs> thank you i like the way that laura has has turned what might be my most insulting a uh, publicly insulting moment into something really quite cute i thought you were talking about male strippers oh no that's chippendales <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a fourth dimension kind of demon god who comes to <laughs> Earth and <laughs> that come <laughs> and is uh, symbolised by tentacles. Oh, that's Cthulhu. Oh yeah. And to my left and opposite is Chris um, Alpha. Hello, <laughs> I'm I'm completely bemused by what's going on. Chris <laughs> Alpha, have you written anything this week? Um, no, because it's Monday. <laughs> well, yeah, Monday's just a write-off for a writer every week. Well, it's Monday. Well, I was, it's I was less of a write-off and more of a don't write at all. I, I was preparing for this ah. uh, t- today, uh-huh. mainly the whole day. Well, I also have a cold, oh. so you know. Cool. Christopher Sigma, hello, yes, Andrew Candish. Hello, how's it going? I'm very well. Yes, very excited about this week's review. Yes, I know. Me too. This week. Dear listeners, we are going to talk about a very special episode of the classic series. Are you allowed to have a very special episode as your first episode? Yes, you are, if you're Doctor Who. Okay. And we're releasing this on the 23rd, so this is a special... We're we're releasing this kind of out of sync with our normal release schedule, which is, let's be fair, not the most regular release schedule in the world anyway. (laughs) That is true. But this one is coming out on the Friday just a week after the last one. So you might have to wait three weeks for the one after this, but we think it's important. And whilst we make you guess what the episode we're going to talk about... Even though we've said it's the first episode. Oh, we, already, we did say that, yes. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk Ooh, about the first got, ever episode of Doctor Who. We've That's got plenty exciting. of New Who fans who listen to our show, so, you know, they might still be guessing. We thought we'd review it, just that first episode. But before that... It's the Udcast News. Cast news. 
This is BBC Television. The time is quarter past five, and Saturday viewing continues with an adventure in the new science fiction series, The Oodcast News! We open with local news from East London. While the world reels in shock at the assassination of John F. Kennedy, a Dalek invasion of a school has gone completely unnoticed. Suspicions have arisen that the amount of fog in London is not, as originally thought, the result of coal-fired power, but actually due to the copious quantities of hairspray needed to maintain the volume of modern hairdos. Scientists have suggested that the problem should be short-lived, however, as the ozone layer appears to have developed a handy hole to vent these excess gases. Mother Nature's a girl for all seasons. She's hit the heights of fashion to keep the 60s swinging, said a government advisor. The cheeky little filly. Poor reviews of the first episode of a new series broadcast on the BBC have been brushed aside by producers who said if you think this is bad, you just wait until we're on our sixth doctor. Gallifrey News Now and the Citadel is in uproar over the claims of a young time lady named Susan Foreman. Miss Foreman recently stated that she had personally made up the name TARDIS, an acronym derived from the phrase Time and Relative Dimensions in Space and in common usage on Gallifrey to describe its timeships. To support her claim, Miss Foreman made public a list she'd apparently recorded in her journal, containing earlier discarded name ideas. These included Clockcopter, the Wifflemobile, Vortexagogo, and Travelling Orb of Time-Yielding Bilateral Universal Movement, or Tootie Bum. News now from 2012. It's emerged that the council in East London are hoping to collect a record-breaking parking fine. The car in question has been parked in Totters Lane for at least 49 years. Television producers have denied any breach of copyright in the design of a spaceship that looks a lot like a police telephone box, asking whether you've ever seen a policeman getting to the scene of a crime within an acceptable length of time, let alone 10,000 years early. That was the Oodcast News, smashing the skull of untruth with the large jagged rock of fact. Oodcast News So today we're going to be talking about An Unearthly Child, the very first ever episode of Doctor Who. Is that your summation and general comment about this remarkable piece of television history, Loz? No, I thought I'd just keep up, you know, the small facade that all classic Who makes me fall asleep. This one didn't. Excellent. Because it was only 25 minutes long? Yes. Okay. I'm not sure it's keeping up the facade very well, but never mind. I first saw An Unearthly Child when I was about nine, when it was shown on The Five Faces of Doctor Who, just after Tom Baker left the show. So I count myself being very lucky to have seen it at just the right kind of age. It's about the same time we were born, Chris, in case you're wondering. (laughs) Indeed it is. That means that everybody's going to be doing crazy calculations in their head right now, Andy, as to how old you are. Do you want to just put them out their misery? I'm a year younger than David Tennant. Are you though? That is a nice way of putting it. Very nice. And looking very good on it too, Andrew. Cheers. Yeah, so um, I have sometimes wondered to myself, you know, as the Doctor Who geek, what I am, what must it have been like in November 1963 to see this new show 
completely out of the blue with no expectations whatsoever. And somehow I just count myself lucky to have been a child when I saw it because it it really is a remarkable piece of television in the sense that it starts off in modern day normality and gradually becomes something very weird. And every time I've seen it, I must have seen it 10 times possibly. I've always just been glued to every word, every move of the camera, every um, every bit of dialogue that makes you go, what's really going on here? And then it all leads up to that remarkable moment where a police box, a London police box, is on a dusty plane in the middle of nowhere. This is it must have been so mind-blowing piece of television. We're not in Kansas anymore. Or Totters Lane. Yeah. We're in, we're in neither of those places. Well, it, you see, it could have been Kansas because it's quite dusty and desert-like. Oh, yeah. We are possibly in Kansas, <laughs> but we're definitely not in East London. Or possibly Cromer. That's a joke for very <laughs> old Who what? fans. What? Uh, what? So something the Brigadier said once. <laughs> well. <laughs> so, Laura, come on then. What did you think? Um, I was actually captivated from the outset Hooray! by the um, huge amounts of fog. More fog than a Sunno concert. <laughs> for, that's for fans of drone metal there. You legions of drone metal fans. Ooh, see, I'm well up with your genre. And then the door opening onto a menacing pile of duvets which kind of gave you an idea of what the calibre of this programme was going to be. But no, no. In all honesty, I did think that the dialogue in particular was exceptionally well written between Ian and Barbara. Admittedly, the flashback sequences um, with little Sally Ann Hoodma Flipper. What's we calling her? Caroline uh, Ford. Ford, yeah. Susan. Playing Susan. Susan, Susan right, Foreman. Her. I nearly called her Mrs. Nugget, so that wouldn't work on any level. I think Susan Nugget's a good name. I mean, Susan I'm, Nugget. Presumably Foreman is just the name that she plucked off the door of the... Yeah. Yeah. We could shorten that. Yardness. We'll just call her Snugget. Anyway, <laughs> um, I thought Little Snugget's uh, crazy flashback revelations... I don't know why Waris Hussein chose to film her through what looked like the end of a jam jar... But it was a bit weird. I did like the idea that there were flashbacks, though. That's quite mm. exciting. We haven't really seen too many of those in the current series. And, I, and I've and i always been a big fan of the flashback, as I am a fan of the... Um, what do you call it when you stick loads of scenes together and you make like music go over the top? Montage! Montage. <laughs> that. I like that. Mm. Um, and just we're so in keeping with the zeitgeist of the 60s, which I know so much about being born in 1982, which makes me 30... That's right. I'm helping you out, listeners. Um, but I just thought it was very good. And I wasn't expecting it to be good. But I liked it. But I didn't like the Doctor. I really enjoyed it as well. I, I can't remember, uh, unlike Andy, when I first saw it. But um, the two things I do remember from when I first uh, watched it are two things that I still notice now. Uh, and one is I never, ever pay attention to filming techniques in Doctor Who because I'm too wrapped up with this story. And, um, yeah, the flashbacks, the big you know, tracking shot at the beginning. Um, two really, really gripping techniques, I think, in television terms anyway. I I, I really loved that. Um, and uh, the writing is pretty much spot on all the way through. It's, it, it's a really tough place to start with a series, having to introduce four 
central characters at once in 25 minutes for something that you you are expecting to be making for a whole year at and least s- and still keep pace as well exactly and it it doesn't it doesn't let up and yet actually if you look at a storyline virtually there there are basically two events in the whole episode aren't there teacher follows person home <laughs> tardis takes off <laughs> it's sort of you know it, it, 25 minutes for two main plot advances is, uh, you know, that's a special piece of writing to make that work in such an engaging way. For me, obviously, it's, I mean, it's an old piece of television. Television in those days was more like theatre. They didn't have multiple takes in the same way, although they could go back and, and do things again. But it was much more the techniques of theatre, you know, that it was almost as live uh, in in some ways and that became worse as William Hartnell's faculties went downhill as the series progressed but here I mean it's a really remarkable bit of television and it's classic in the way that other old things that are brilliant are classic you know it's classic like uh, the Lavender Hill mob is classic or Brief Encounter is classic it's got that kind of copper bottomed brilliant timelessness about it and you can see why this, our series, we, you can see how our series emerged from it. There's so many things in place already that are part of what we know and recognise as Doctor Who. And I think, Andy, you were saying that at the beginning. You've got this otherworldly man who doesn't seem quite human, although he looks it. You've got the police box that opens out into this wondrous machine. You've got a companion who is compelling and and serves as a sort of a, a, a an audience introduction into the world of the show. Barbara and Ian are brilliant characters. Mm-hmm. They're dynamic, they're funny, they're three-dimensional, they have a great relationship between them that deserves to be explored. They are the very template of what companions could be. And all of that, as Chris said, in the in a small 25-minute episode, just phenomenal Mm. it's very funny what you're saying about the techniques of the theater being used in filming because i really really noticed that especially when hartnell comes on the scene that um there's quite a few bits where one actor is finishing off their lines and then just continues (laughs) underneath the actor's next line and so you have these (laughs) just people sort of talking over it going on and because there's only four characters in the scene it just seems really really weird is that the bit where he's in the junkyard and he's examining bits and things no no this is when they're in the TARDIS and Ian and Barbara are doing like proper exposition of this story and he's just like oh oh bucket candle wrap (laughs) (laughs) what in the background yes Mm. (laughs) I like the bit where he's turned away. He's turned away from them and at the console, and it's a real monologue kind of thing. He's, you know, the camera's in front of him, and he's turned away from them, and and he's working the controls. That seems very like aside. I like it. They make him out to be a total <coughs> creep. Do you agree? Oh yeah, but he I was think... a total creep. Yeah. The Doctor learns throughout the series, mm. Doctor Who. How to be a hero? He's not a hero at the beginning. He That's is absolutely right. A dick, and I think <laughs> <laughs> too true. I think it's a fascinating character. The Doctor is a fascinating character in the first series, perhaps rather like uh, the Ninth Doctor is in um, the first series of the new series, in that he's quite clearly um, on the run from something. We've never found out what. 
but he's he's scared. He's he's frightened of being found out. He's frightened of losing Susan, which is why he takes off. And you know, later on, he nearly kills a caveman so they can get back to the TARDIS. Mm. This is not the Doctor we know, and I think it's amazing how he develops with the influence of Ian and Barbara in particular throughout the series and becomes this hero yeah we've been talking about the things that are in place and you're right there are a lot of things that aren't in place as well and a lot of them are to do with the character of the doctor himself he isn't in love with humanity at all he regards them as savages Mm. he isn't he doesn't have a sense of right and wrong in the same way he really is only about getting back to his machine Mm. and continuing running well, his reasons for being there aren't clear either, are they? Because, I mean, he mentioned something about fixing a, a filament or something like that at some point. But there are all sorts of theories that have been put forward in, in, in the years since. And I mean, up to uh, what the remembrance of the Daleks uh, suggests that he was there to bury the Hand of Omega. The Hand is... of Omega. And of course, are we going to find out why he was there uh, in the next series of Doctor Who with the... Who, Doctor Who? No, that would be Doctor Why, wouldn't it? (laughs) Doctor Doctor Why, were you there? Doctor (laughs) What? (laughs) Doctor Eh? Keeping in in line with uh, what I found refreshing about this episode, there was a very refreshing lack of political correctness. um, I suppose because of the fact that it was, you know, the 60s when those sorts of things didn't really exist. So you have... The shot of the school and just everybody running out. To clearly, all these sort of twenty-somethings playing fifteen-year-olds <laughs> in a sort of in a very non-uniform type, free-thinking, free minds school. And then you have Susan Nugget, Snugget, listening to a very, very loud piece of music mm. and doing and an interesting dance with doing her hand. A crazy dance, hand dancing. Yes, that was a bit weird. She, That's she's what moving her do. hand down. I'm thinking, what's going on here? And, and but may, mostly, what I was thinking during that was, she's really going to damage her hearing if she puts that against her ear. <laughs> it's very loud. Yeah, time lords don't have the same mm. auditory but systems. Auditory the, bypass system. Yeah, oh, that's it's right. the same as the res- spiritual one. Mm. But the, of course, the big fat glowing alarm in all of this is the behaviour of um, Barbara and Ian. Uh, to this yes. potentially quite vulnerable young pupil. And I know lots of people have got stuff to say about that. Well, yeah. I was just going to say, I, I think if, if this was the storyline that we we're going to try and do in 2012, I don't think it would kind of turn out anywhere near this way. Slow down, Barbara. We'll lose her. Not if we're careful. You said she lives round here. Yes, in Totter's Lane. Then don't panic. We'll catch up with her in the lane. Not if we stay this far back. You'd rather she spotted us and reported us to the police? Well then, come on. She's gone round the corner now. What do you want? Susan, are you all right? Who are you? It's Miss Wright and Mr Chesterton from school. I'll call the police, you f***ing weirdo. I'm not a weirdo. We were worried about you. So you followed me home? You wouldn't tell us where you lived. To stop f***ing weirdos following me home. I've heard about f***ing teachers like you. Like us? Perverts! Susan, what the f*** is going on? Grandfather! Who are these f***ing weirdos? We're teachers. From Susan's school. Oh. Perverts? Yes. No. They followed me home. Did they now? Now, look, we're, we're worried about Susan's schoolwork. So? Don't you care? Why should I? Well, aren't you her grandfather? No, he ain't. He's my boyfriend. So what's with all the grandfather stuff, then? 
nickname, innit? Hung like a clock, right? Only less metal. Ugh. Let's get out of here, Barbara. There's a pub around the corner. It's interesting that you mentioned sexism because I, I think actually having watched the episode um, with also I've watched it with commentary, I've watched it with the info text on at least once. One of the things they changed about the script during the process was actually Ian's character mm-hmm. um, because in in the scene before they go in, well, when they're going to find Susan in the junkyard, mm-hmm. um, they ha- they basically deleted a whole load of casual sexism towards Barbara. Do you know um, what? I did notice that about it. There's very, very little sexism in it. Yeah. And it would be so easy to make Ian this sort of, oh, come along now, dear. They toned cliche. him down as well from being a really kind of gittish git <laughs> <laughs> to being actually quite a nice, just honourable I think chap. one git per TARDIS is quite enough, thank you. <laughs> Could I uh, draw a, a line maybe between that and the fact that there were two, at least two very powerful, very talented women yeah. sort of in charge of the series. You've got mm. Verity Lambert and you've got Delia Derbyshire doing the awesome music. I don't know if that was something that would have happened in a lot of BBC programmes. It seems to have two women so powerfully kind of part of the it's creative team. It's fascinating you say that indeed, because um, Verity Lambert was um, was given Doctor Who, as I understand it, because nobody else wanted to touch it. And um, she she had to fight some big battles to get it off and, the ground as well. Did, didn't one of the director the reason it ended up with the director it had was because the uh, uh, the director it was originally supposed to go to refused to work. With yeah, uh, I understand that to be the so. case as well. Yeah, the the Waris Hussein who directed it was um, think he it was his first go. It was the first ever yeah. thing he directed on telly or something like that, and nobody else would touch it. I think it's amazing that the series got made when you think about it's not all the bad. hoops. Not bad for through. a first go, is yeah. it really? Yeah. And oh, we shall hear more about that, I guess, in Mark Gatiss's series. Yes, I know. Isn't writing. that exciting? Yeah. I, I, and just to pick up on uh, Warris Hussein's direction, and some of the camera work is very fluid, um, flowing and moving That's right, with is, characters, yeah. which I think is is noticeable. It's not something you notice very much in 60s television. And there's some lovely moments of focus as well. For example, in The Junkyard, where the Doctor is pretending to look at a pot um, whilst he's listening to Ian and Barbara. Uh, and Ian and Barbara are discussing him in the background, out of focus, whilst the focus is on William Hartnell. And it's mm. just a, um, a, a, a truly um, proper, considered bit of, of camera work. It's, it's really, really good. And the TARDIS doesn't look like a shonky set. Mm. No. It's a, it's a really nice... It's, it's, it's very big... There's that awesome hanging thing that we never see again. Mm-hmm. The kind of the overhead donut. I don't, I'm not well, sure what it, it is. Oh, it's, again, back in, it's back in um, the current um, one, yeah. isn't it? It's techno very donut. Techno donut. Mm. The only uh, film effect that I thought was particularly pants was when they either decided to film a washing machine or somebody stirring some angel delight to symbolise the vortex. It was not very good. Oh, that's the that's, title sequence. That's feedback. No, 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 no. You know the bit I mean, where it's just, you know, it's like a washing machine on spin cycle that's full of, I don't know, chocolate oh. custard. Oh, okay. What are we talking about? Yeah, We're I talking about their vortex effect. Yeah, not not especially good. The other thing that I didn't think was especially good was the terrible music looping that they had for the flashback sequences, where they basically just cut and pasted the same few bars of music over and over again which was a pity because throughout the rest of the episode it was brilliant it was just a bit lazy to do that on the flashbacks i'm not sure it wasn't lazy i'm sure it was motivated by budget yes Mm. i think it's good music though i think it's very atmospheric 
Um, in terms of some of the things that were foreshadowed by the show, and um, they made a whole load of really ballsy um, leaps of prediction, like, for example, guessing the decimal system yeah. several well, years before it mm. came in. I mean, sure, maybe you could see some of the conditions for that happening, but at that point, it was still it, shillings it been, and farthings. It, it and had been talked about for several decades beforehand, and it was only three years off being introduced by yeah, Labour government. Was still, uh, it was still early. Uh, As legislation. Still was. very contentious, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, but it's, it, like our, it's like us guessing Asylum of the Daleks. Even though it had all these new ideas, fresh ideas, it still was very much clearly a sci-fi mm. born and bred staple. Th even down to things like, it's alive! <laughs> Which is very sort of frankenstein <laughs> yeah. referring to the TARDIS. That was, can I just say that was really funny? I was like, well, that is a big leap. I would just say, it's vibrating! <laughs> it's vibrating! <laughs> yes, that was quite amusing. But fairly accurate again. Um, the one thing that I found was that made me laugh in the episode, um, other than the hilarity of parking outside because they sort of want to be inconspicuous. Hmm, yes, we'll just park this huge saloon car outside <laughs> the girl's house. Um, was the physical comedy of Ian falling over when the TARDIS takes <laughs> off. That has to be the most controlled and graceful <laughs> method of falling over that I've ever seen. The falling over of a man who has some kind of arthritis <laughs> and doesn't want to hurt himself by landing with a big shock. If it was a modern dance piece, it would be called The Stages shock. in Between Horizontal and Vertical. <laughs> the man is an amazing actor. I think William Russell is mm. superb in that role and goes on to develop it even more but he cannot fall down for toffee <laughs> if i gave him toffee he still wouldn't be able to fall down <laughs> it's the the isn't that the motto of of the chesterton family stand up for toffee never mind <laughs> <laughs> well i think it's time for us to uh, let's have a little go round the table and any last thoughts you want to say on this Pretty remarkable bit of television. Andrew of Candish. I think that this is proper, proper good television. Brilliantly written, superbly filmed and acted. It grips from beginning to end. Uh, and I, I very happily watched it again today and thought, look at this. This is history in the making. Wonderful stuff. I think it's a bit like... When somebody tells you something is good, but all the signs point towards it being actually awful, like strawberries with balsamic vinegar, you think there's no way I'm going to like this. But then you try it and you think, actually, not only is that surprisingly refreshing, it's also rather good. Are you talking about strawberries and balsamic or an unearthly child now? Both. Okay. It's, do strawberries actually go with balsamic vinegar? Oh, wow. yes. Oh, um, I, yeah, I liked it. It always has been w one of the most exemplary starts to a series I can think of. And it, it's ha one of the first script books I ever bought was a script book for that. Oh, and, yes, I got that as well. And The Talons of Wang Chai yeah. at the same time. The, the second one got a lot more reading than uh, An Unearthly Child did, but I still, I still go back to it occasionally because it's so beautifully structured, so well told. Um, and obviously beautifully filmed and performed. I don't know whether it was just talent. I think there must be some luck in there as well in terms of the people mm. that eventually happened to work on the series. But whatever it was, whether it was by planning or by sheer dumb luck, that group of people created something that you can look back on now and go, 
that's why it's still going. It had a foundation that, uh, that this series had such an incredible concept and a brilliant launching pad in this episode. Oh yeah, I would go, I would show that to anyone who wondered, you know, what this Doctor Who thing is. You, sh- you can start at an unearthly child and you can draw a line all the way through to Matt Smith wearing his fez and being all crazy. I think perhaps we haven't seen a series pilot or opener that's been quite as adept at quickly and interestingly introducing you to the whole cast ensemble and also to a whole world and philosophy of a program. Not until Firefly's pilot, perhaps. Hooray, Firefly. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Yes, that's <laughs> what that's I really for wanted another to say. Episode. <laughs> Sh- shall, I, shall I round it off with the haiku that I wrote for the whole of that? Serial. Spoilers. Yes. If you haven't seen the rest of the story, look away now. Um, (laughs) An unearthly child. Strange girl from blue box. Noisy teachers go stone age. Tribe of gum get fire. They get what? (laughs) No way. I think it's like a, 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 a flashy burny thing. Are they made out of gum? Yeah. Right, well, thank you for coming to this emergency staff meeting. I know you're all very busy people, so I appreciate you giving up your evening. Mr Chesterton, if you wouldn't mind starting us off? Thank you, Headmaster. To come to the point, I'm worried about a pupil, Susan Foreman. She displays such aptitude at science and history, and yet no skill at all in typical female pursuits, such as cookery, housework, and the ability to only recently be able to vote. I agree. I've also noticed something odd about Miss Foreman. The other day she asked me if she could borrow my iPad. I told her such a subject was a matter of personal hygiene, not fit for a classroom, and that she should continue her inquiry at home with her mother. And only then, out of the earshot of the menfolk... Thank you, Miss Wright, but perhaps we should move briskly on from such delicate women's matters. Have any other members of staff noticed anything strange about Miss Foreman? Nothing about Foreman, but I have to say I don't trust that Potter boy in 5B. The other day I called him in the caretaker's office, acting suspiciously with a broom. Really? Did he have an explanation for his conduct? Not really, he just said he was stuck for a ride home. Most perplexing. I myself have been having misgivings about the entirety of Slytherin House. It seems to me a grievous educational misstep to have put all the evil children in a class together. I can't begin to imagine the amount of plotting that must go on in that form room. The other day I surprised all four of the Pevensies coming out of Mr Frampton's stationery cupboard. When I tried to question them, they just shouted something about Turkish delight and then ran away laughing. Standards are definitely slipping. The Wayne boy I have in period one on Tuesday, the one whose um, parents were killed, he seems moody to the point of rudeness. Not to mention the fact that Cobblepot was found beaten senseless in the playground yesterday. Yes, well, Cobblepot was a bully. Good riddance, if you ask me. I'm more worried about the swan girl. She was always sullen, but I never had her down as a teenage runaway. And teenage pregnancy is hardly an everyday occurrence in this school. It's Cullen. He's a bad egg. Oh, but his homework just sparkles. Also, he's very good at history. And biology. And biting. 
Hmm, that McFly character's not entirely trustworthy either. I caught him in the clock tower, and when I tried to apprehend him, he escaped using a plank of wood with four trolley wheels nailed to it. At least he's not that Finn boy from year one, always bringing his dog with him and waving a sword about. Or Baggins in the lower sixth. The other day, Mr Acton said he refused to wear plimsolls in P.E. He wears jewellery in class, and he keeps disappearing without warning. Not everyone can be a model pupil like that teacher's pet Wesley Crusher. He's saved the school so many times and becoming bored of how predictable it all is. Well, I guess that's the nature of teaching. Some children are easier to educate than others. I mean, Leary just wants to talk about cinema. Darling lives in a dream world. Everdeen is an arsonist. Skywalker's asthma is beginning to distract other pupils. And Adric is really, really annoying. They can't help who they are. Our job is to create an environment where they can learn. Excuse me a moment. Hello, this is the headmaster. Right. Yes, yes, I see. What, what dreadful news. Well, thank you for being so direct. Goodbye. Well, it seems that our discussions here today are entirely academic. I'm afraid to say the school has had to be shut down. Shut down? Whatever for? It seems we're being sued by every television company, every film studio, children's author and comic book publisher in the world. Oh, Oh, bother! So for any of you who've been following me on Twitter, which if you have done, hello! It's the Oodlaws. Um, you might have noticed that a few mentions have been made recently of a book um, called Chicks Unravel Time. Now, this is the sequel to the Hugo Award winning um, Chicks Dig Time Lords, produced by Mad Norwegian Press. And it came out earlier this week. And it's a delightful collection of 36 essays by female fans of Doctor Who. And the reason behind it is that uh, the editors, Ellen Miles and Deborah Stanish, realised that there had been many, many uh, different pieces of critical writing about all the series of Doctor Who written by men, but not actually any that were written exclusively by women. So my essay was David Tennant's first season. Oh, yes, come on, what? Yes! And my essay is entitled... David Tennant's bum. So if you haven't read it, you can find it on hive.co.uk, which is a website for independent booksellers rather than Amazon, who don't pay any tax, naughty, naughty. Or you can get it as part of a box set direct from Mad Norwegian Press. So do support Mad Norwegian Press and also, in addition, me by having a look at this. If you disagree madly with what I've said, which I think some of you probably will, then please, by all means, write and tell me why. And if you agree with me, then that is lovely and you can join me at my right hand. (laughs) Wow. Has this gone to your head at all? I don't know. There's something about some of your language that leads me to think that perhaps it has. I'm I'm drunk with power. I don't know what to do. I'm doing a signing. I'm doing a signing actually at, where is it again? Forbidden Forbidden Planet. Planet. (laughs) If you're in London, come and have me sign something at Forbidden Planet. Preferably a book rather than a body part. No, Although she if, likes body if parts. If you're attractive, I'll do a body part. If you're not attractive, I might still do David a body Turner part. will turn up. And... Oh, oh <laughs> sign his bum. That'd be... Would that not be the best thing ever? I can think of better things. Oh, well, yes. Well, you would. Right. So... <laughs> just I'm, I'm, just I'm, feel I'm... lucky that I didn't call it David Tennant's... 
Right, we're not putting that bit in. <laughs> <laughs> so that's around about it for this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. And it's goodbye from me, Andy. Goodbye from me, Chris Sigma. Goodbye from me, Chris Alpha. And so long and buy my book from Laura Zinger of <laughs> Megan de Dodma. Sigma Dogma. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a chinchilla. Never known a girl like you before So now we're off to violent employment law Here we come and knocking on your junkyard door Cause we never met a girl like you before lesson but you know more both a science and a history bore following you home just to check the score oh we never met a girl like you Never met a girl like you before